Hey, my name's Hayden Carroll. Welcome to the Faithful Perspective Podcast, a series where we discuss together those key gospel principles that lead to a successful, joyful, and productive life for Latter-day Saints and friends. Before we jump into anything, I want to give you an invitation. Do you know a Latter-day Saint who is passionate about something gospel-related? Do you know somebody who others could benefit from getting inside their head? If you know somebody that I might be able to interview on our Faithful Perspective podcast, please email me their information at faithfulperspectivepodcast at gmail.com. That's faithfulperspectivepodcast at gmail.com. Kent Carroll has been married to his wife, Valerie, for 31 years. He has four kids and six grandkids. He spent 30 years in law enforcement and retired after 27 years as a police officer with the majority of his time spent in investigations. He served in two bishoprics as Elderscorn president, young men's president, and on the family high council. Please enjoy my chat with Kent Carroll. Today I have the awesome opportunity to speak with uh, and have a conversation with someone close to me. Uh, this is Kent Carroll. Kent, how are you doing today? Doing good, thank you. Thanks for uh, taking a moment to come on the podcast for the listeners. Kent is my dad's little brother, one of his little brothers. And uh, the reason why I've asked Kent to come on the podcast today is uh, actually for a specific reason. I think probably since I was in, what, eighth grade or so, Kent, you've been uh, you've been trying to teach, I would say, teach me gospel principles. I didn't always listen. Uh but I think it would be good for us to have a conversation on uh, some of the things that we've talked. We've had, you know, dozens and dozens, maybe even hundreds of hours of conversation. And uh, I'm hoping that we can draw some of that out today. How does that sound? That'll be fun. It will be. Now, that being said, can we start just for our listeners? Can you just give us a brief background about maybe yourself, your family, where, where you come from? And uh, a little bit about your work and church experience, and then uh, we'll start from there. Yeah, I was like Hayden said. I'm the I'm the fourth of twelve kids. Hayden's dad is my brother, just older than me, so he called me his little brother. But I am bigger than his dad. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. And we were. I was born in Emmett, Idaho. My dad and his three brothers worked on a dairy and poultry farm in Idaho. They sold, and they worked with their dad. And so it was all, I grew up with all of my uncles and cousins, and that's really all I knew up until age. We moved to Arizona right before I turned 12. So I grew up on a dairy farm doing all that fun stuff. And then the brothers sold the farm and moved to Gilbert, Arizona, and had a roofing business called FlexShield. And so then we moved down here, and I worked in FlexShield up until the time I went on my mission. And then even when I came home from my mission, I worked in Flexfield for a couple of years. My father passed away, I want to say, when I was about 22, right after I had gotten married. And then Flexfield kind of went away, dissolved, because he was the glue to me, the glue that was all together. And then I went and worked as a detention officer at the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office for two years. And then I went from there to the Mesa Police Department, where I worked for almost 27 years and retired last year after 27 years as a police officer. In that, most of my time was spent in investigations. I, I did a couple of years teaching in the schools about gangs and drugs. Well, I did a couple of years patrol. Then I did a couple of years teaching in the schools, gangs and drugs. 
then I did a couple of years teaching like to the community, um, what they call it crime-free housing, just teaching people how not to be victims of crime. Then I moved from that to property crimes, investigated burglary. Then I moved from there to the center, which we did sex crimes, adult and, and um, minor. And I was there for about, let's say about nine years. Oh, I forgot something. Between burglary and sex crimes, I did about five years in our violent crimes unit where we investigated all the homicides and shootings and stabbings in the city of Mesa. Um, I was then in that about five years, then I went to sex crimes. Then I went back to patrol for a couple of years and ended my time with Mesa in our in, inspections unit where we basically did internal audits and made recommendations on how we could improve. And then I retired last in 2019. So I that, am married. Mm-hmm. I have four kids. Uh, my oldest is a son, a boy, and three daughters. And from all of them, I have six grandkids from three months old, about I think seven years old is the oldest. And they all live right close to us. Awesome. So that that's your family work. Tell us a little bit about your church experience. What are some, maybe some of the callings that you're held? What's your current calling and how's that going? I am currently a counselor in the bishopric until Sunday. They are, they are reorganizing our bishopric Sunday. So after this Sunday, I will be unemployed in the church mm-hmm. or uncalled. Uh, this is my second time in the bishopric. I've been a first counselor two times. I've been an elders quorum president, young men's president. Um, I served on the high council. Um, most of my time was in, when I wasn't in those positions, most of my time was in different um, places in young men's. I've been a scoutmaster, a secretary, different things like that. But other than those callings, most of my time's been in young men's. So uh, with all of your callings and your family experience and your work experience, it seems to me, at least you know, as your nephew and as we've taught gospel for several years, it seems to me that you've kind of accumulated this understanding of what a gospel principle is examples of principles and and because and i know this because you've talked to me about it but can we start there if for our listeners if you had to give just maybe a definition of what a principle is let's let's start so basic how would you define a principle and then what are some examples of some principles for us i think in the in the general setting a principle is anything that any person in their life as the foundation or the cornerstone for what they're going to believe and how they're going to act. It's, it's a belief system or their thoughts that dictate who they are. Principles don't have to be true. I, I think there's a lot of people in the world who base their principles on bad things or untrue things, but nonetheless, if that's what guides their life, that's their principles. The, the beautiful thing about the gospel is gospel principles are based on truth. And that's the key to the gospel is we change ourselves to live gospel principles. We don't try to change principles to make us happy. So if, if I can just clarify real quick. So it seems like a principle is somewhat of a guideline, right? Something that we live our life by depending on our circumstances. Is that fair to say? Yes, but they don't. I don't think they vary very often. So I would call them more than a guideline. It's the foundation upon which you base every decision that you make. Okay. A 
guidelines to me can change regularly. Mm-hmm. Principles, I think, are the the mortar that hold who we are. It's where we get our character. It's why we do what we do. And it's what we base all of our decisions on. So, well, I was going to say, with that, can you give us maybe an example of, of some principles that you try to live by? Like, give us some examples so we can understand better. Well, I, I, to me, my principles are founded in the gospel. That's where they come from. I mean, I, I can say I was like Nephi. I was born, I have great parents that taught me the gospel and taught, taught me two true principles. So my principles, if you want to equate them to the gospel, begins in faith in Jesus Christ believing who he is, that he is the Son of God, believing in the plan of salvation, believing that I have to repent and change to become like him and to follow all of his commandments. And so that's the core. Everything I do, I try to measure against the gospel of Jesus Christ and those things that I know to be true principles and and not get confused. The world what might teach you that a principle is that wealth accumulation is the most important thing. You know, that could be a principle of the world that then someone bases all of their, all of their decisions on. I try to base everything I say, do, and think, and everything on the core principles of the gospel. So what, what, what advice, what counsel would you maybe give to a Latter-day Saint who's maybe struggling with finding these principles? Where, where can they go? to find these gospel principles that you're talking about? To their knees. The, the, first, the first thing they need to do is, you know, the, sec, was the fourth article of faith, the first principles of the gospel are faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and repentance. You have to know who he is and what he did and how do I become like him. And that, the foundation of that is faith in and a belief in Jesus Christ that is a principle because he teaches us everything we need to know. And then once we get faith in him, our desire to become like him inherently means we need to change. And and repentance is nothing more than changing how I am, changing my thoughts, my behavior, so that they fall in line with the Savior's teachings and principles. So where would you go to find it? Go to the scriptures, go to the Bible, go to the prophets, go to anything that teaches you who Christ is, and then most important, go to the Lord and pray for his guidance and his teachings and confirmation from him and the Holy Ghost that those are true principles. And then he will act on those principles as, as you're prepared to receive them. So I have, a, I have a follow-up question for you. Is it fair to say that before we can pray, before we can actually care about these principles, we have to have a desire, right? There, there has to be some form of desire that is accumulated in some way. So my question for you is, what advice or counsel would you give to a person or, you know, whether it's a Latter-day Saint or not, who is struggling to even have a desire to have faith in Jesus Christ? What, what's kind of like the very first step? How do we gain that desire? What advice do you have for them? I think really you have to inventory yourself and think, what do I want? Out of life, what do I? What am I looking for? Is there something missing? If if there's no void in your life, and you and you think that you are 100% happy, you're not going to have a desire because Christ is going to ask you to change some things that you're doing. So 
the first thing you have to do is do a serious inventory of yourself. Do I like where I'm at? Do I like my principles? Where did they come from? Who am I? Why am I like I am? And do I want to get better? Do I want to return to Heavenly Father? Even if you don't believe in them, you have to kind of understand, you know, what am I looking for? If you don't believe in them, what happens after this life? Mm. You, you have to have an interest or a desire in learning a little bit more than what you currently know. Mm. And as you begin to seek that, then, then you will progress towards him. So it, it seems like there's some sort of a self-evaluation that has to happen maybe before we can move on to, these, uh, to this understanding. Is that fair to say? I think, yeah, I think the self-evaluation is what leads to the desire. Mm. If, if, you have, if you think everything is fine in life, regardless of the topic, if, if, say you say you're a math teacher, and if you think that you know everything there is to know about math and you don't think you need to know anything more, you're not going to have any desire to learn anything more about math because you think you know it all. And so in life, if you think you are absolutely squared away and there's nothing wanting, it doesn't seem logical to me that you would have a desire for anything new other than more of this thing. Right. And that's one thing I love about the gospel is that it's always encouraging us to self-evaluate and then change. Or in other words, repent, right? That most of the time it's repentance. It's, it's a turning away from the things of the world towards the Savior, right? Now, uh, that being said, is there anything else? You know, we, we, Today, you and I decided we want to talk a little bit about the Articles of Faith, but is there anything about principles that you want to mention before we move on there? Is there anything else we left out about principles? Just that I think, I think you have to, in that self-evaluation, you need to look at yourself and say, what are my principles? I think on a regular basis, even I try to still do that when I, when I do my self-evaluations and when I try to review and set goals and stuff, because it's easy to get pulled away from truth. Like I said, I try to base all my principles on the gospel, but I'm still influenced by a lot of things in the world. I'm influenced by me. And I, you have to always make sure, um, are my principles, is my behavior in line with what I know to be true principles. Because mm. I, I may begin to do things that I know are not um, conducive to the principles that I believe. And when I find myself doing that, you have to go, okay, wait, self-check, what matters most, and, and always stay in line with those true principles, and always learn more. There is always more in the gospel to learn. You don't leave the foundation, but, but there's always opportunity for growth and learning. So just, just in the interest of, of not kind of leaving our listeners guessing, can you give us maybe one or two, because you're saying you base your principles off gospel principles, right? Can you maybe share a principle with us that you try to live in your life, like a specific one, so we can get an idea? Well, I guess the first is, is faith. I, you know, I think of, you know, Alma, when he talked about the seed and faith and how when it begins to grow, it becomes knowledge. You, you just try to base everything I believe on, is this what the Savior would do? Because ultimately, he told us, you know what, be like I am. He came down, he lived, he showed us, he taught us, and he said, live like me. 
So I, I try, one of the core things I try to do is, is when I make decisions, or when I think of how I'm going to do things, I ask myself, how does this fall in line with, and then you can pick, you know, any of the commandments. Um, am I full tithe payer? Am I trying to pay off my net, my gross? Am I trying to justify why I don't pay this or why I don't pay enough of a fast offering? And, and I, I basically, I've come to the conclusion that all of the gospel comes down to basically kind of three things in a nutshell. It is honor our Father in heaven, recognize who he is, and that he is paramount to everything. Without him, we would have nothing. So, so he gets all credit, all glory, all everything. And as long as I'm honoring him, then that's a good thing. I'm headed in the right direction. Then he tells us to honor your parents, and I'll link that with honor your parents, and just be good. When, when, when you, every principle of the gospel I look at, it's either it's me changing my behavior so that I conform to the rules of heaven, or it's me doing things to treat other people in a nice way, in a good way, in an uplifting way. And I can't think of any commandment that doesn't either elevate me as an individual or ask me to serve someone else so that they're blessed. So I try to measure everything I do in, in that realm. It should either bless my life or should bless someone else's life in a good, positive way. So it sounds to me, and the scripture comes to mind, Uncle Kent, that it's uh, Doctrine and Covenants 88, verse 22. This is one that I've come to learn over the past several years. What it sounds like to me, like you're saying, and kind of what I'm taking from you, is that you are trying to live your life in such a way that you can return to live with your Heavenly Father, that you're, you're trying to live the way that He expects of you. Is that maybe fair to say? Yes. Well, and maybe this helps how I think of things, too. There, there's several scriptures in the Doctrine and Covenants. Um, you you know where that is. I think this is in 130 or 131, where it says that for every law in heaven, or every law in heaven, there's a law in heaven upon which all blessings are predicated. So every blessing we receive is based on the law. Mm-hmm. And I would also interpret that to be every non-blessing. If we don't do something we're supposed to do, he can't bless us. And we know he's bound. When we, when we obey the laws and the rules, he's bound to either bless us or to not bless us. And then I look at section 76 where he talks about what are the three degrees of glory. And I kind of look at that and go, okay, he's telling me what kind of person I need to be to attain any of those glories. And I look at the celestial, the highest level of the celestial kingdom, and say, what principles do I have to live? I have to live celestial principles, the celestial laws. To attain that, that's what I want as an individual. That's what I want with my wife and my kid. So I try to live as best as I can the celestial law that he has asked me to live based on the covenants that I've made to be able to lay claim to that blessing. So you, you, you make a great point, and it's funny that you say celestial law. I'm just going to, can I read this scripture? I want to get your thought on it. Um, it's DNC 88, 22, and it goes through like verse 24. It says, for he who is not able to abide the law of the celestial kingdom cannot abide this law, uh, cannot abide the celestial glory. And he that cannot abide the law of the terrestrial kingdom cannot abide the terrestrial glory. And he who cannot abide the law of the terrestrial kingdom, telestial kingdom 
cannot abide a telestial glory. Therefore, he is not meet for a kingdom of glory. Therefore, he must abide in a kingdom which is not a kingdom of glory. And I just love how you mentioned your the law according to your covenants. One of the things that I've thought about a lot in my life is if I'm supposed to learn the celestial law that you're talking about, Kent, where do I go to learn that law? And I think a lot of it, we go to the same place to learn the law that we make our covenants, a.k.a. the temple, right? How do you feel about that? Absolutely. I mean, they're, they're in the scriptures, but in the temple, it's very clear. You know, I, I sent you that paper about the articles of faith that I've been writing or reading and just thoughts on them. Mm-hmm. And they're called the saving ordinances. We know from the scriptures, from living prophets, and from, from when we go to the temple, that there are specific ordinances that I have to enter into and honor if I'm going to go to the celestial kingdom. And so, because as far as I understand, the, the terrestrial kingdom doesn't require ordinances. It requires a certain level of living. It's the celestial kingdom that requires those ordinances, and those ordinances are the covenants that, that I make with, with Heavenly Father and that he makes with me to fulfill the celestial law and to fulfill the requirements, if you will, of, of those blessings. You know, one of the things that I've thought a lot about in the past several years, since really since serving full-time mission, is that the saving ordinances, they aren't just a checklist. Like, it's not just God wanting us to jump through these hoops and then eventually we get the prize at the end, right? Rather, the ordinances, the saving ordinances, they don't, they don't, they're not just there for us to do, they're there to teach us to become something, right? Because when I think about baptism and the Holy Ghost, when I think about the initiatory ordinance in the Melchizedek priesthood and the endowment in the temple ceiling, I think those are opportunities for us to, and, and as funny as it may seem that we talked about it, self-evaluate, right? Those are opportunities for us to become better, not just to check a, a box, right? How do you feel about that? Uh, I, I think they're both. We, we have to check the box. If, if we don't have those ordinances in our lives, we're not going to get to the celestial kingdom. But just checking the box doesn't lay claim to the blessing. Mm. And, and every ordinance, like, you know, you've heard, you've heard the, I'm assuming you've heard it said, you know, the priesthood, I hold the priesthood, but the priesthood doesn't really bless me. Mm-hmm. I magnify my priesthood when I serve and bless others. Mm-hmm. Everything God has asked me to do, it's either quit being a knucklehead and follow these rules because this is going to bless you and you can have my spirit with you, or it's serve other people, bless them, help them, don't let them suffer. So every ordinance is pointed to the temple, which is pointed to helping us to become like our Heavenly Father. Mm-hmm. That, that's the essence of the plan of salvation is we can move from where we're at now to become like him. And he's like he is because he lives the celestial laws. Mm. And I think that's, that's kind of a unique, uh, that's a unique teaching for the, for Latter-day Saints compared to the Christian world that we believe that heavenly father and heavenly mother, um, maybe we're the only ones who believe in a heavenly mother, but that they became what they are because they learned the celestial law and now that that that's how they became became god if you will right is that fair to say yes as far as i know there's not another entity out there who believes that which i think is amazing it only makes sense in my mind now 
in the interest of time, you, we mentioned the Articles of Faith. Kent, I just want to give you an opportunity. Uh, so it seems like you've been doing a little bit of study on the Articles of Faith, and I we want to tie this in with, right, the, you've even used them as examples when we're talking about principles, but is there anything that you've learned prin- principle-wise from the Articles of Faith that what what could you share with us that you've learned from your study? Where would you take us? To me, the, the, the most thing I think about, the setting of the Articles of Faith, I think, is interesting. The, the newsman that wrote a letter, or that made a request to Joseph Smith, and it's in the Wentworth letter, is that he wrote that letter to the newsman to answer the question, kind of the, tell me, how did the church start, and what's, where is it at now? What's the status from it? And so he does, Joseph Smith gives a little bit of his history, his personal history, and then I, I'm sure you've heard of the standard of truth. That, that's in the, the closing part of the Wentworth letter, which basically says the truth been restored and it's going to be in everywhere in the world. Everyone will have a chance to hear this before it's over. Mm-hmm. And then, and then the, he gives the Articles of Faith, which is basically 13 statements of what do we as a church believe. So I would say those 13 are the core principles that we would want to base everything we do on, because that's Joseph Smith saying, here's what we as a church believe. And he starts with, you know, talking about God, who he is. And and when you start talking about Heavenly Father, to me, you have to just understand what is the plan of salvation. So all of this takes me back to what is the plan of salvation? Why is this going on? How long has it been going on? And when you can get a little bit of an understanding of how big the plan of salvation is, but yet how simple it is. Everything to me ties into God's plan for us and, and how we, how we're here and why are we here and what's he doing. And, and it makes to me absolutely, once you understand the plan of salvation and believe it, everything makes perfect sense. Can you, can you kind of walk us through that process? How did, how did you come to that conclusion that as you studied the Articles of Faith, that if, if we can understand the plan of salvation, that that's where we really want to go? Can you just expound upon how you came to that conclusion? Well, because you look at the first article of faith. The world would believe either that there is no God or that there's seven different gods. You know, a lot of different religions believe in different ones. Or that there is one God who is omnipotent and and fulfills the role of, of all three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The first article of faith, we believe in God, the Eternal Father, and in His Son, Jesus Christ, and in the Holy Ghost, distinguishes that they're three individual beings. They function as one, and you can do a lot of different study in how they function as one. What are the roles? You know, when I first read that couple of, I don't know when I started it, specifically this study of it, I asked myself, well, who is God the Father? Where did he come from? What, is his, what does it mean he's my father? So it just leads to a lot of questions. Ultimately, the answer to that is he is literally our spirit father. He, is, he has been through the plan of salvation. He's lived on an earth. He had to learn and grow. He is a resurrected being. He has a wife, and we're his kids. And he is now at the state where he's saying, hey, kids, you need to go out and do what I did so that you can learn and grow. And if you want to become like me, you can. If you choose not to, that's okay. You don't have to. And he laid out the three degrees of glory. And 
we could either support him or we couldn't. Satan, in the war in heaven, Satan said, you know what? No, I'm going to, I don't like your plan. I want to change it. And I think this talks about principles. He wanted to change and take away free agency, which I think is an eternal principle. It's a, that's one of the laws of heaven is that we're free to choose who, what we're going to do. We're not free to choose our consequences, but we're free to choose what we're going to do. So, and Satan wanted, wanted the glory for what he was going to do, but he wasn't willing to be obedient to the laws. So he wanted to circumvent the laws of heaven, become like Heavenly Father by not doing what it took, and help us to become Heavenly Fathers without us doing what it took, which meant live the plan of salvation. Right. So, I mean, to me, that there's so much just in that conversation then is the Savior. Who is he? Why is he important to us? And it's, it, again, it comes back to the plan of salvation. Part of the plan was we would have to accept our Heavenly Father's plan for us, and most of us did. Those that didn't were cast out with Satan. Then we come down to earth where we're going to live and grow, and he told us, you know what, it's going to be hard. You're going to make bad choices. Life's going to suck sometimes. Bad things are going to happen. You won't all make it back, but it's your choice. And the laws of heaven say if you make one mistake, you're, you can never come back to him. But one of the laws of heaven is that somehow mercy plays a role in the Savior because he was perfect, was able to answer the laws of justice by justice had no claim on him. But because he came down here and in a way that, that I don't understand, he paid the price for everything that I do wrong, everything that everybody else does wrong, until he could ultimately go to justice to the laws of nature and say, look, I paid you what you want. You had no claim on me, but I paid you anyway. If I help them learn and grow and change and become acceptable, then is my suffering sufficient? And the laws of nature say yes, as long as we learn and grow. And that's how the Savior overcomes our sins, is if we eventually change and become obedient to the laws of nature, then the Savior was able to pay the price as we went through that learning curve to satisfy justice. And that's how we can repent and go back and live with our Father in heaven again. Those that don't want to accept him, they pay their own price, and they will go to a lower kingdom because they didn't obey the, the laws of the celestial kingdom. It sounds like you and I need to have an hour-long conversation on the plan of salvation. There's so much there, and, 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 I, and I love what you say. And, and to me, like, it's so—I don't even know how to explain this. It's so simple to me, right, to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ because it gives us a purpose, right? It gives us something— to do something to look forward to, right? It, it's I don't know how do you how do you feel about that? How do you feel about the gospel as a means of purpose? Has that been the same in your life, or how would you explain that maybe to somebody? I the, to me the greatest thing of the gospel goes back to be, what did the Savior do for me? He he did two things. I make some mistakes. I make a lot of mistakes, but. If, if I will try my best to change them and to learn from them and to repent and to change, he's already promised me that he will take care of it for me. So I, but I have to change. And then that's a lifelong process. The other part of the atonement, I mean, not talking about the resurrection, because that's another one, 
But the other part of the atonement, which I think we miss out on, and I think a lot of the world cheat themselves, is that the Savior is there. He's, he knows everything that's ever happened in my life. He knows intimately how I felt, how I feel, how those around me feel. And what a blessing it is to when you're really down in the dumps, or when you're going through a struggle, or when, and whether it doesn't always have to be sin. It can be if, if a family member died or if something injustice was done to you um, that you didn't deserve, but it happened anyway because people have free agency. You can go to the Savior and say, hey, I need help because I'm struggling with this. And he understands how you feel. And there's great peace in, in knowing that he knows how I feel, but then tied into that is also how the Holy Ghost, his role, is to comfort me, to help me, and to help me get past the hard things of life, be it something that I deserve to suffer because of my choices, or be it because someone did something that caused grief in my life. And so, to me, the blessings of the gospel are, yes, I understand the value of living a good life and becoming like Heavenly Father, and I strive for that. But to make that possible is His atonement, which helps me repent, be forgiven, but then also make it through the trials and tough times of this life because because it gets tough sometimes you just want to say it's not worth it but because i understand i know it is worth it and i can make it through because he's going to help me so ken uh in conclusion and maybe that was the conclusion is there anything else that that you would want to share with anybody who's listening right now as we close just the biggest thing i kind of like what i just said Get, get your priorities in order and let the, let the Savior be your guide, and, and it'll be okay. Everything will be okay if you let him be your guide because he loves you, he knows you, and he wants the very, very best for you. And the only limitation of what you can have is your choices and your commitment to what you want to do. Thank you so much, Ken. I just know how much I appreciate you. I hope that uh, our listeners today have learned as much as I have. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing with a friend. And we'll catch you next time on the Faithful Perspective Podcast.